The bell has rung, and welcome to another episode of the Icon Showdown podcast. I'm your trusty host, Enan Hennigan, and tonight's fifth episode tackles the year 1992, where we're showdowning Candyman versus Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. So it's going to be quite the showdown. Um, with me tonight is the illustrious Scott Allen. How are we doing tonight, Scott? I'm good. I have to need to find illustrious. Illustrious means somebody with uh, the capacity to um, really wow people and to woo, woo them, woo them and wow them. Illustrious, you're someone that is captivating in all in all sorts of ways. Yeah, that sounds like me. Let's do this. That does sound like you. So, as you know, in the Icon Showdown podcast, we are trying to determine what is the most iconic movie of a given year in a particular category. Granted, we may burgeon beyond movies, but for now, we're talking about the mainstream horror movies of the last 31 years, and we have made it to 1992. Um, so we're going to start with Dracula. Dracul, as I learned, uh, it's pronounced tonight via Gary Oldman, who plays Dracul. Uh, we're going to break it down in terms of the six categories as we do. The antagonists, the ensemble, the surviving characters, the settings, deeper meanings involved, and then, of course, the fright factor, and we're going to rank these. Of course, you can hear the Academy or, or the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press Association decide what's the best, but they never explain why. We are here to break down why. So, Scott, right off the bat... What did you think of Francis Ford Coppola's version of Dracula? Have you seen any other versions? Have you seen Old Nosferatus? Uh, I have, but not recently. Uh, I remember in film school, we, we had to watch Nosferatu. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, no, honestly, uh, Bela Lugosi, I think, was the first one to really pull it off with a little bit of charm, a little bit of uh, gravitas, if you will. Um, but then Werner Herzog has his own Nosferatu, which I just started to uh, investigate as of last week. I'm going to be honest with you. I did fall asleep about halfway through it. It's the nature of Werner Herzog for me. But I loved I loved what I saw. I loved what I saw, and it was the perfect like prelude into dreams for me. Um, but I will say that I feel like Francis Ford Coppola brings it to another level. Can you tell me, what is the motivation of Dracula? What does he want more than anything else? Oh, he... Uh... That's a hard question. He mostly, I mean, in the movie, he wanted his uh, his love interest back. It was more about revenge, right? Just because his... He, he revenge against who? That's an interesting way to put it. Who's God, he... mostly. It started off as revenge against God, just because... Does he believe in God? Uh, I mean, he did. Otherwise, he wouldn't have so much passion about the guy. So, yeah, he went out to war. They... Uh, uh, his wife got word that he had died, which was not true. Elisabetta, we learn, yeah. dies. Yeah, when which... she's falsely told that he dies at war as Vlad the Impaler. So he goes by multiple names, right? Yeah, so she kills herself, and, uh, you know, killing yourself in the eyes of God makes you a sinner, so she was sent to hell, so he was pissed off that she went to hell. Uh, so he was like, yeah, I denounce you, fucker. And he stabbed the, the cross and drank the blood, and, you know, I'm, I'm uh, Dracula now. You're right. Uh, as I was watching it, I was wondering, does this, this guy forsaken God? Does he not even believe in uh, that deity any longer? But with so much no, symbology no, throughout the film, clearly God is an entity that exists within this lore. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, blood Right, because the, the crosses freak him out. 
I mean, you got you got a lot of like vampire tropes there that were originated in Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, but there's there's certainly a lot of God influence that affects him. And if there was no God, according to Dracula, if he just doesn't believe in God, I don't think those things would hurt him. I, no, so, I don't think he he never said he didn't believe in him. Yeah, he believed in him so much that he hated him. Yeah, no, I think God uh, God has definitely betrayed him uh, by letting Elizabeth die. That's interesting. Okay, so. Uh, his motivation is to forsake God, to go against God. He uh, he relishes his ancestry simultaneously. I found a really interesting scene in terms of his motivation is to be remembered. Remember when uh, Keanu Reeves's character Jonathan is there, and he kind of like laughs at a flippant remark that Dracula mentions about one of his ancestors, who actually happens to be him, and he pulls out a sword out of nowhere, puts at the, the little the tip at the throat, and is like, "Do not laugh about the past." I find it interesting. I feel like one of his motivations is to be remembered, even though he's been alive for 400 plus years. Well, I think he just has an anger management problem. <laughs> that could be true. That could be true. Um, and also, I don't know, I've definitely lost people that I've loved, uh, be it romantic or otherwise, but I do think he's motivated by that bitterness and resent from losing somebody that he loves so much and realizing the impossibility of getting that same sort of connection. Did you see that? Uh, that connection would be, it would be if, if he knew, because he was a good person, man. He was never really a bad person before. He, he was, was initially there. fighting for Christ. He was yeah. initially a Christian warrior. Yeah, so he, he I think he, he felt more betrayed than anything. And, and his idea was, you know, no matter whatever happens, this person that I love, I'm going to see in the afterlife. So I can, you know, I'll fight whoever you want. But when I die, I'm going to go see this, 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 this person that I love in your gates. And all of a sudden, this guy's like, "No, nah, man, she ain't in my gates. She's in hell because she committed suicide." And he's just kind of like, "Fuck you! I just, I just murdered this many people and I survived. And you're gonna say I can't see my love? Ah, fuck you, bitch!" Like that's pretty much I feel like his sentiment. Do you think the fact that she committed suicide led to her coming back to this world 400 years later? Because if if the uh, Christian story is uh, fallacious, right? It's not necessarily true or it's flawed. We do see Elizabeth come back. Winona plays his wife in the initial scenes, who kills herself. That is her as the actress. And then he sees her again 400 years later. We're talking about Vlad, Vlad the Impaler died in 1476, and this takes place in 1897. Uh, Dracula story is 1897. I mean, uh, is she cursed to come back? Is there something to be said for what they're t trying to put out there in terms of like to be reborn again is almost a curse? No, I wouldn't say a curse. I mean, this is uh, based on the fact that you believe that it actually is her. It could also be maybe it wasn't. Uh, but, but she if it remembers was, him. Uh, or is he inflicting his emotions onto her? That's what oh, okay. Do. The so, hypnotism but, associated yeah. with that. Interesting. Okay. But if it was really her and it's supposed to be her reincarnation, it could be God's uh, apology. He could be being like, yo, I'm sorry. I know I messed up. I took her away. I'm going to put her back in. Maybe she won't kill herself this time and see what happens is it god's way of torturing dracula because as we know at the end she's the one that ends up killing him for good is that no, the ultimate way for not. god to get was... back at this no. sort of lucifer-like character no by having the person he way... loves kill her 400 years later i think it was him? his dickish way of being like all right you fuck up the first time i give you a second time uh so you know figure it out because again they both can end up in heaven, right? She was a good person. Uh, he ended up going into heaven, right, at the end? 
Was uh, she a good person in terms she of... She wasn't a bad person. We're talking about the late 1800s here. Uh, she was horny as hell in a world where that was really frowned upon. I don't necessarily think the way that she was depicted yeah. in her All time right. was considered a good person. She was way more horny than Jonathan, right? Okay. Keanu Reeves' character? Person, the definition of a good person between God and between the people who believe in him are completely different things. Uh, followers thought that if you you know you show cleavage, you're a whore, right? God might not have meant that, right? It doesn't matter what. Yeah, she's no thinks. Lucy. She's no Lucy, that's for sure, but let's Even not... She probably wasn't, uh, 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 you know, going... Hell. When we get yeah, to ensemble, we're going to talk about Lucy, but she's strong. Three guys along here. Uh, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second here. But let's continue to break down Dracula uh, as played by Gary Oldman and the aesthetic. What did you think about the way that he was depicted? He had multiple forms. I mean, what what what, what defines his form? Well, specifically, we meet him when he has like these Princess Leia buns. Did that do anything for you in terms of like? I mean, I thought, it was you? Goofy. I thought it was goofy, but what else are you going to do with all that hair? Uh, I felt like it was a very convenient way to do your hair. Like, I'm, I'm for it. And it was a stylistic choice, and it was very... Uh, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it either because I felt like it was a callback to the armor that he wore when he was fighting his Vlad the, Vlad the Impaler back in the 1400s. I feel like it actually had a, uh, a similar structural consideration and when you see so much going on with the shadow play in that first scene with Keanu Reeves I feel like the the, the Princess Leia buns actually did help to it help to make it interesting uh, I think yeah it was probably a good way to be like yo this is the same person but you don't really see him with the helmet on as much maybe like one or two scenes. silhouettes when he's fighting you actually see Vlad the Impaler actually impale somebody when he's off at war Winning. Oh, I thought that was Batman. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, it was definitely silhouetted, but it was him, okay. Vlad the Impaler. We get to actually see him impale. Um, other than that, we get to see him in red robes. He oftentimes looks like a priest. To me, he's kind of like this Antichrist figure. Um, he floats instead of walking, which I found pretty ominous. Have you seen anybody else float instead of walk in horror? I mean, not in real life. Oh, in horror. Uh... That's not a ghost? People, people in, in, on rollerblades. <laughs> Fair. And then he's also somewhat like bi, maybe, right? I felt like his scene with Jonathan where he is shaving his neck was somewhat sexual. Did you not get that vibe at all? Or was it just his bloodlust that was coming through that no. was mistaking that for? I mean, that that's kind of, I think, ambiguous when it comes to Dracula. Dracula and. I mean, all Dracula is based off of Bram Stoker, right? Uh, Bram Stoker invented Dracula, right? Am I wrong? Right. No, the yeah, Irishman, uh, Bram Stoker. Yeah, sure. yeah, I'm pretty sure he invented him. And I'm pretty sure he had sort of a bicep. It was, maybe he just saw bicep. Well, Vlad the Impaler was an actual dude that lived. Well, I know I know that, but I, I think the idea of, of Dracula, who Bram Stoker invented, was uh, not bisexual, just opportunist. You know what I mean? So I don't think sex yeah. necessarily... Uh, it heightened the t- it heightened the tension there, and that was right before he gets succubied. So it kind of like mm, got us in the mood or whatever. Um, frankly, to me, the scariest part of Dracula was his hairy palms. What was that about? Did you notice those? Well, he masturbates a lot. <laughs> okay, so there's something strange going on there. What about his vocalization? Did Gary Oldman nail it in terms of the sound of Dracula? Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I think he did. It was such a unique. I the research that I did, and you know, whatever, and I had seen you know, Nosferatu and how a few other people had played uh, Dracula was just more kind of de- dead and fidgety. But he actually gave it sort of emotion behind it. It, it definitely seemed like he was in turmoil when he was talking. He, he, right. Which I, I definitely appreciated. It it's the ultimate breakup offbeat. story. I almost relate more with him for having a broken heart than Keanu Reeves, who yeah, I, no I one, love. But No one relates to Keanu Reeves in this movie. I don't think anyone ever relates to him in any movie, but he's still fun to watch. He's like a Jimmy Stewart character. He's big. Yeah, and... but he was not big in this movie. He was actually the anti-big. He was just very dull and um, really trying to memorize lines and do this goddamn accent. I know what you're saying. I mean, that's the nature of the character Jonathan. It's kind of the, the straight man um, of them all. Okay, let's break down then um, our big bad in Candyman, who... Would you say it's Candyman? Because I know you threw me some curveballs uh, when we discussed Puppet Master and Pet Cemetery. Who's the antagonist in Candyman? Oh, man. It's, it's, oh, where's the name? Uh, it's definitely for uh, Helen. Helen's the... It's the Helen? It is Helen. Our Absolutely. final girl, even though she doesn't yeah. survive. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, does. why? Uh, again, if you look at it as more of a metaphor... Yeah, this is definitely a metaphor for I think uh, how 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 uh, you know the upper echelons or you know the white white people saw black people, uh, and I think she was just more. I think it was more of a story about that than it was about this. Horror story. Don't jump the gun here. You're getting into deeper meanings. I know. If Helen I is the antagonist. I, what is her motivation? I, think, I I do think that the the villain was Helen, though I will say it was portrayed through Candyman. So, Wait, what was the question? So Candyman turned her. Ultimately, she became the big bad, as we know at the very end. But Candyman yeah. was the inciting incident, if you will. Well, yeah. let's break them both down then. What is Candyman's motivations? Why does he murder? Uh, I think, again, it has to do with just he needs to be remembered. He wants a, a legacy. Yeah, no, I think there's there's some accuracy to that. I think he wants a legacy. I think he wants a vengeance, of course, like a lot of these villains do. Um, but I also think like he wants to be able to love whoever he wants to love because we have an interracial love story here. Um, and if you remember the actual backstory of him as told by one of the professors um, that Helen speaks with when she's at the restaurant, he explains that ultimately the Candyman was educated, super smart dude, who happened to be a slave, and then he was enticed into getting with his slave owner's daughter. And once well, that he, happened, and he got he her pregnant, he was hunted down, hand chopped off, covered in honey, and then eaten by bees. He wasn't enticed into it. He's he was simply uh, you know, what what, what do you call it when you're just hired to do something? <laughs> like, but he, by the dead, right? Did I mishear that conversation? Because what I got from that dinner party was ultimately Candyman was implored by the slave owner to get on her daughter, which I found really fucking fascinating and perverse. I don't remember that. That could be true. Uh, so I don't know what to say about that. But okay, I that might have to be further research. His story, because I, I did do research on Caprini Green, uh, and it actually didn't exist in the late 1800s. Hold up on the setting. Hold up on the setting. I'm sorry, I got to reel you in here. I want to. I want you to talk about the aesthetic of the Candyman. 
What did you I think of like, in the way he's like, the way he looks? Uh, he looked phenomenal. Uh, he was uh, sexy as hell. I, I love this. He looks like a pimp. The, the, oh, that is true, sort of, which is awesome. He's got the fur rated. coat. He's got the checkered pants. He's got the but leather shoes. If he was supposed to be uh, modeled after who he was in the late 1800s, I don't think they were pimps in the 1800s with fur coats. So that doesn't make any sense. That's a good point. But he doesn't speak like he's from the 1800s either. I feel like he the doesn't. Candyman continues to evolve with the times from this Candyman incarnation. He, what we're, uh, we're seeing he here. Did, he, he spoke mostly in poem. He did. No, he was a poet. He's a romantic. Similar to Dracula. We have two romantic antagonists here. And he was an artist. What do you think about his vocalization and audibles? Like, does like he the, have any I, signature sounds? He, I think he did. It was very dark. It was very deep. Uh, Sultry and sexy, almost. A little bit. I was turned on, for sure. <laughs> uh, his fav- My favorite line of his was, come with me and be immortal. Because after having watched Dracula prior to it, I was like, oh my gosh. The parallels between Dracula and Candyman are, are significant. What about the originality? We didn't talk about necessarily the originality of Dracula, but I mean, vampires have been with us since Polidori wrote the first short story about vampires. As far as I know, he's the first one. And frankly, in terms of vampire lore, you can go all the way back to Beowulf, where Grendel is sucking the blood out of um, the Danes when he goes and bursts into uh, essentially the, the Mead Hall. Tears people apart, drinks their blood. There's your first vampire. But granted, Polidori is the first one to have a being that actually needs to live off of blood. So, the originality of Dracula, not so much. What do you think about the originality of Candyman? Uh, I think it was fairly original. I mean, totally. Getting soaked with. Uh, again, I think it was a metaphor again for how, how people were treated. Uh, back in the day, so getting soaked with honey and sung by bees and that kind of stuff, it was, say they drew from your life events, maybe, and they turn it into a, 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 you know, a monster. I, I, I'm for it. I think it was a, a great monster. I have never seen anything prior or before that dealt with a educated slave ultimately being, like, framed in the way that he was. To me, and then his desire to ultimately have a baby because... Him stealing that baby, not killing that baby, framing her for that baby death was super interesting. There's a lot of layers going on there. To me, it was like a reverse Rumpelstiltskin situation because ultimately, if you remember, he had gotten that white girl pregnant, his slave owner's daughter pregnant. So then that whole story comes full circle when he steals the baby. He's into our white protagonist lady, Virginia Madsen. Uh, and she ultimately saves the baby, sacrificing herself. I felt like there was a reverse Rumpelstiltskin thing happening here, right? Instead of give me your firstborn, it's like give me you, and the firstborn will live. Uh, I don't remember it being forced. I just felt like it was love that happened, and he got punished for love just happening. Do you think she loved him? Do you think she loved Candyman? Yeah, why? Yeah, I think so. Why? I mean, he's... Why, why More than her dude who's cheating on her. Probably. And he was dreamy. He did have that freaking amazing ensemble. Wait, who are you talking right. about? I'm talking about his outfit. I mean, he was kind of like, he was a very sexual dude. It's hard to not get caught up in him. In the same way Winona Ryder got caught up in Dracula, even though she was married to Keanu Reeves. And he was no, sucking her blood so. and shit. 
Are you talking about the, the, the future love interest or the, the love interest that he gave the baby with? Both of them. Both of them. I feel like she was analogous to what had happened to him when he was a slave. Oh, yeah. She was somebody that was sympathetic to what he was, was interested in exploring his lore, right? Because ultimately she's a graduate student at UIC, trying to understand urban legends. So I think, like, he appreciated that she cared more than anything else. Let's go back to Dracula and talk about the ensemble. What did you think about as a whole? Because we got some major players in this movie. Yeah, it's almost unfair because they had a lot of A-list players in that one. I mean, they had Anthony Hopkins, they had Gary Oldman. Brad Dourif. If you if you notice Renfield, you know uh, Dracula's little minion who was in the um, the prison the entire time. That's Uh, the voice of Chucky. That's uh, Chucky uh, right there. That's Brad Dourif. So they had a lot of like horror icons. You're absolutely right. Um, And even the people that I didn't know, I felt were still pretty decent. No, Certainly, no, there was no real bad act, no, acting. No, there wasn't. Um, again, it's like they're doing a period piece, so a little bit of hokiness, I feel like, is ingrained in, in doing some period True. pieces. True. But, um, you yeah, know, the ensemble, that was pretty fantastic. They even have a, a, a what's face from uh, Princess Bride and... Uh, Carrie Ells. Yeah, yeah. and uh, She's the one that Lucy ultimately picks, too. Which is pretty interesting. Here's one thing that uh, caught me a little, uh, maybe a bit miffed. When she's getting these blood blood transfusions from two dudes, this is before people know what blood types are, right? Isn't that going to make her sicker if she's getting infused with like A and B or whatever the hell, you know? Oh yeah, I'm sure she died. That was that was kind of silly in itself. But in terms of character dynamics and the relationships formed, I believe uh, Mina's and Lucy's friendship. Did you believe that one? Uh, say it again. Mina and Lucy, so the redhead and Winona Ryder, yeah. essentially. Uh, I mean, there, there was a couple yeah, quality it, scenes it, between those two. It, it, it's they seem like friends, but they seem like friends who are like on Instagram who are just boasting how better their lives were. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, no, certainly in the, in the case of Lucy, I feel like she was always trying to one up Mina. But the way that they were drooling over that Arabian Nights porn, essentially the the pictures within the Arabian Nights books of different uh, sexual positions. I I got the sense that they were like exploring sexuality together and there was like a genuine friendship um, that I sort of believed in the same way I believed Bernadette and Helen in Candyman. Yeah. I don't see, I don't see, I don't see as much with with, with Helen and Bernadette, but I saw saw it in uh, the other one for sure. Did you, were you not impressed by Bernadette and Helen going into that Cabrini Green building for the first time? People thought they were cops. You had all these thugs ultimately trying to scare them away. What are you guys doing here? We got the 5-0, the 5-0 here. I thought that bonded them similar to the way we have the um, Mina and Lucy looking at the Arabian Nights books. Like, dealing with situations that are tough together, learning together sort of thing. I, I felt like there was decent character development in both of them in terms of female friendships, which is not usually on the board in horror. Yeah, no, I, I can see the, the comparison for sure. How did you feel about Lucy as a whole uh, in terms of her flirting with three uh, dudes? It seemed a bit over the how I don't know how old she was supposed to be, but it definitely seemed, you know, 15-ish, like, like late teens kind of flirting. Like, oh, I have so many options. 
<laughs> yes. A lot of innuendo going on there. Can I touch it? And then it turns out to be the knife. It's so big. Uh, and it turns out to be his big old big old knife. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was, she was a little goofy when it came, came to that. Free way of speaking, I think, is the way that Mina put it. She's like... It was one of the few moments we'd get of Mina's voiceovers. It might have been the only one when she's discussing to the audience, ultimately, how she feels about Mina. She's like, I wish I had that same adoration from the guys. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> but what's up with Quincy being from America and being rejected? Because at least Jack helps Lucy when she's sick. She picks Arthur, who is, of course, you know, Robin Hood Men in Tights. But Quincy's the American Texan, and he still, like, hangs around and is willing to fight for her. Is there any sort of commentary on America there? Like, they... What? What's going on there? Is the only American character in this. I just feel like if you're called Quincy, you're from uh, Australia. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah. He's the it. only one that dies at the end, too. Dracula, of the three men suitors that try to save the day at the end, Quincy's the one that that dies at the hands of Dracula, um, which is interesting. It might be a mimic. I think maybe he hates America. Possibly. Bram Stoker's (laughs) giving some shit to America. You never know. Where is Coppola from? I don't even know what... what, 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 Oh, well, Francis Ford Coppola is Italian, but uh, Bram Stoker's Irish. He's an Irish dude that initially wrote it. But you're right. Who knows? Maybe he emphasized that. I'm not sure. I maybe read the book back in high school. I can't really remember who dies, who lives in the book. Um, but you got to admit, Van Helsing was a dope character. He ultimately really has some sort of like evolution over the course of the film, even though he's a secondary character. I did. I did. It did seem like Anthony Hopkins was just trying to compete with with Oldman at that point, though. You know what I mean? Like mm. both had quirks to him, so I feel like he's like, all right, you have, you got great quirks, man. I'm gonna have these good quirks too. Uh, I just thought they were they were battling for. That does make sense. He gets progressively more loony as it goes around, as it goes on, yeah. and he's always totally good. matter of fact. Like even when Winona Ryder's like becoming a vampire, and she's like, "Oh, I know you got the hots for me." He totally is like, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll kiss you." Then I'll like create the fire circle around us and expel those demons, sort of thing. I, I felt like there was a, a sincerity to Van Helsing that might not have been in other characters. He was definitely a little bit more of an oddball. He didn't seem as solid as uh, Oldman's portrayal of Dracula. Uh, but ironically, he was the, the one of two doctors, right? And we had the other doctor, Doctor Jack, who was the guy who worked in like the dungeon, where ultimately the guards of this hospital slash dungeon wore cages on their heads. Did you notice that? What was up yeah, with that? Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, Why were the guards wearing cages around their head? They they did have a weird steampunk in in that. Because why did uh, the Renfield, the the doctor, right, or the original lawyer, or whatever, he has yeah his initial helper, whatever finger contraptions, which I don't think were ever really addressed on their purpose. Mm. Uh, it was just very more stylistic, more than anything. Oh, so, you talking about the straitjacket thing with his arms? No, not that. In the very beginning, his fingers. He actually had uh, like metal things over his, the tips of his fingers. Oh, I missed that. Then, Things that came in into like his sleeve, so it was more like a like a mechanical uh, nonsense, which really they didn't address. And he would you know, grab the flies, pick them up, put them in his mouth. They're kind of the same. That whole that whole scene was sort of steampunkish, like just metal almost for no reason. 
Did we need did we need Renfield at all? I mean, it was a two hour and seven minute movie. Could we have just cut out all of those scenes at the dungeon slash hospital? Because ultimately Dracula goes back to him and says, you've forsaken me or whatever, and kills him by like thrashing him against the bars of the prison. We don't really get any fucking payoff, do we? Not really. He just, if if anything, you, you could have mentioned him. I don't know if you needed to actually show him as much as he did. He was kind of a cool character, though. He had the the crazy, the crazy hair, the weird contract. I feel like that scene was just thrown in there just to be eating the bugs. Artistic. Oh, he was great. Yeah. I mean, it's a great character actor, Brad Dorff. But I don't think it add, added. Too much. I don't think it did either. I think if you were to cut something, it would sadly be that. Even though it was great performances, I like seeing Doctor Jack beyond just uh, going after Lucy. I didn't necessarily understand why we needed to see him taking morphine. Uh, you? I guess, but then it kind of confused me because right after he takes morphine, we see Gary Oldman as the wolf. Essentially, that confused me. I didn't know. I didn't know the Dracula could turn into a wolf. I have never seen that before either, and I was super confused. I was like, "Wait a minute! Is Jack taking these drugs and then he turns?" But apparently that was still Gary Oldman. He just can turn into yeah. multiple things because he, he does say forms. to Winona Ryder, Don't I guess he had his, his old form in the dark. He had his young form in the light. And I don't know what this horny wolf thing was. And then he had his bat form, which to me is the scariest form. Uh, yeah, that one. I, I, what I did read was that was one of the first times. Was it one of the first times he turned into a bat? I read that, but I don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure I've seen... Human-sized bat like that with that white skin, maybe. But I've seen like goofy Dracula's turn into bats. Yeah, like little bats. But this was like human-sized bat, white-skinned, freaky. That was that's a scariest incarnation, if you ask me. Okay, let's talk about the ensemble of Candyman, though. How did you feel? Because we're we're, like you said, it's a little unfair. It's a little stacked on the Dracula front. You have all of these A-list actors. I still wasn't put off by the acting from the ensemble in Candyman. Was there anybody that bothered you? I don't think so. There was no... Uh, it was really gratuitously bad, I don't think. I think it was... Again, none, none of them were A-list actors. They all did solid Virginia job. Madsen is marginally A-list now, after Sideways, but yeah, um, at the time she yeah, definitely yeah. wasn't. Yeah, no, back in 92. No, I don't... Um, I mean, maybe... No, I can't... Think of anyone that was Did you great. recognize her husband from one of the most high-grossing movies of all time? I did recognize him, but I don't know what movie you're thinking. Terminator of. 2. He's John Connor's father. Oh, no. That does not count. I guess it Good on It counts. Him, That's a part. That's a That's good, good moment in T2. That was a great movie. Good on him. I didn't notice that. Touche, sir. But, I mean, I do think he's a middling performer. He was, was okay. A little over the top. I did like uh, I did like the dynamic between him and his wife, and then of course his girl on the side, his mistress, who he ends up with ultimately at the end. Um, I don't know how Virginia Madsen didn't see that. To be honest with you, that was I felt like a flaw in her character to be so oblivious to that. Oh, uh, no, but I, I also think, really love Jake do, the kid. I, I think it has to do with uh, I think it has to do with backstory. I think she knows. Okay. All right. Fair. Did you like Jake the Kid, who essentially tells her about the story of the little boy who gets gutted in the bathroom? I didn't hate him. I didn't hate him either. I thought he was pretty decent. I thought he was a... Yeah, I think I think he did an okay job. 
I didn't find anybody distracting. I thought it was a decent ensemble. Obviously yeah. not the powerhouse that Dracula was, but given what a low-budget Candyman is comparatively, not bad. Oh, wait. Should we go back and rate the, the villain? We got to rate, rate everything, ultimately. So antagonist in Dracula, what are we giving it? Um, Out of four. Oh, I got to give it a four, right? I got to give it a four, too. It's timeless. Did a perfect job with it, but I'm going to be honest with you. It, it, Candyman is three point five to four. I don't I know. Would say, I would say four too, though. I think we're tied on antagonists. I think they are equal in terms of their iconic nature, one hundred percent. So ensemble, I feel like we got to. Personally, I love Keanu Reeves, but I don't think he's a good actor. So for that alone, I give it like a three five. Yeah. How do you feel about no, that? No, I, I agree. A yeah. three? We sure. drop one whole point. One one. Do you I think Winona's to... a good actor? Because I love Winona. I have a crush on I, Winona. I, I do like Winona, but she seemed a little... A little <sighs> off in this one? All right, we'll do like three there. Okay, that's fair. Too much. Uh, I don't feel like the uh, ensemble of Candyman's higher than a three, though. I feel like we're tied up across the board right now. Are you giving the ensemble of Candyman higher than a three? No, not higher. Maybe 2.5. 2.5 I think might be fair. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to surviving characters. So who survives in Dracula? Uh, I mean, Winona's character did. What was her name? Uh, is she a vampire, though? Or when she kills Dracula, is she cured? She's still alive. It doesn't matter. Can but she I still guess, be alive? Because she does have the in, teeth. I don't think that lore uh, was introduced in that movie, uh, whether or not she would she would still be a vampire or not. But she does try to bite Anthony Hopkins' neck. To me, suggesting at that moment... And then she tries to help Dracula by, like, compelling the weather to get terrible when they're chasing him in the uh, carriage. I feel like she is straight up turned. Am I crazy about that? Maybe. I think she's turned. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I think she's turned. And if she is our final character, I love it. I love it. Either way, if she's a human again... Because she killed Dracula, or if she remains a vampire, I'm still chill with that. Well, granted, we still got Keanu, we got Van Helsing, um, and two of her boyfriends alive at the end there, too. We only the lost Quincy. I don't care about the boyfriends. I like Neither do Helsing I. I wanted like, most of them to die. Yeah, I mean, Van Helsing I like just because the name now is kind of synonymous with Dracula. Um, yeah. So we're I, talking yeah, I don't, three? I don't care about Keanu. Winona boosts him up with the fact that so many dudes lived... Kind of brings it down. You know what? You talked me into a two. A two five. Let's do two, two five. All right, fine. I'll give you a two five. Because the idea of Winona being like this soul living vampire now, she's the new Dracula. I love that concept. Uh, because he kills all the succubus. And I don't, as far as I know, there's not other vampires, right? Van Helsing they killed the three explore, women succubus. They don't explore it, but there could be. But yeah, maybe there's not. Maybe she's the new. Surviving characters in Candyman. Who do we got? Uh, it, did anyone survive? I mean, uh, you'd say Helen did. I mean, that, the whole point of the movie, I think, was her lore left. Her 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 lore her lore leads on, leads on. So I think maybe that. Yeah, no, she kind of does. I mean, Candyman Two. Is there such a thing? I don't yeah, know. I should investigate that. I think it's, it's not about, about her though, is it? Nah, no. They bring back the original Candyman, which is kind of okay. I think that's a problem. I think that might ding her a little bit. 
Um, as far as I saw, the only surviving character is the mistress, right? And, and the baby, the, the baby. The, the baby, but no one cares about the baby or the detective or the mistress. There was the uh, woman that lived in the slums, the mother of the baby who survives too. I think that's nah, like a point five boost. You don't care about her at all. Nah, she did get macheted in the in the arm by Virginia no, Manson. No, I don't care. Okay, so surviving characters, we're talking one point five or two. I give it. I give it to you just because I like Candyman. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But Candyman doesn't survive. Yeah, but I like the movie. Fair enough. Okay. Um, okay, let's go to the setting of Dracula. I think this is going to be really hard to contend with, if I'm honest with you, even though Candyman sort of does, uh, because it does have a really profound setting. But what did you think about Transylvania, the Carpathian Mountains, and what they did show of London? Well, from what I, from what I read, uh, Coppola actually wanted to use techniques that they had used in the, the early cinema days, mm. right? So he didn't have any... CGI, he didn't have any, any, any super special effects. He mostly did was it like matting and in camera stuff. And overlay stuff, okay. Interesting. Yeah, so so what I when I when I heard about that I was like, ah, it kinda gave it more because when I was watching it before I read that, I was like, ah, this almost kinda seems like a play. Everything just kinda seems two dimensional in the background. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it it kinda was. But it was uh uh just done to uh done to kinda just add add to the that time period which... and correct me if i'm mistaken though but dracula is the only thing that was ever like affixed in or overlaid in right it was either when he was within the weather or when he was trying to seduce i don't i don't think anything was i could be wrong what do you mean well just like where you have ultimately his eyes superimposed in the background right the red glowing no, sky that would you'll be, see i think that i think that would have been matting that's which matting, is, okay. Yeah, in, in camera stuff, um, which is super impressive to, to pull that off as smoothly as they did, if that's what they did do. But I'm pretty sure. Did yeah, that work for you? It it did. It kind of I mean, did for me too. It was a little goofy, only because we're in an age of uh, yeah CGI. Ninety two though. But ninety two, yeah, I'm sure that was. Uh, I think it worked. I think it still works now. I think it does. I wasn't distracted by it in a bad I way. I wasn't. It, it definitely seemed like a stylistic choice more than anything. Yeah. Uh, what about the mood with. that it sets? I want you to contrast specifically Transylvania to London. What sort of colors, what sort of like just ambience did you notice? Uh, I mean, Transylvania, it seems, it seems a lot darker, right? Less a variety of colors. It becomes darker, but as he's going into it, I found it really interesting that you have the red skies that then become these dark blue skies. Crazy contrast of this Eastern European country to then you cut back to Winona, where it's London gray, dreary, boring in comparison. Granted, London looks a little more lush later in the film, but in the early stages when he's going off, about to be essentially imprisoned, I really felt like there was this beautiful red to blue to black, like... You've been wounded, then you're turning blue because you're dying, and then you're dead. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but now that you now that you say it, I can see it. And I also felt like there was a lot more life within Transylvania, ironically, even though there was that death. Certainly, you have the wolves howling, which uh, Dracula compared to music. What did you think about the wolves? The wolves scare you? It didn't, it, it didn't scare me. Was was that supposed to be like the wolves at the what is it the the devil has the wolves that protect the doorway? 
that oh. lore about the the demon? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but no, eh, it doesn't matter. I, yeah. Apparently, Dracula literally controls the wind as well, according to Jonathan, at least. I did really appreciate, in terms of the setting, that anytime there was tumultuous weather, it usually had to do with Dracula, like, being it. Or he was coming in there with his, like, sexual prowess, or whatever the hell it was, to dominate via the weather. He's like, he is nature. When we get more into the metaphor stuff, I feel like Dracula tries to emphasize our id- Versus the super ego that Jonathan might try to emphasize. Was there any other like uh, settings that really kind of stuck out to you? Did I lose I mean, you? just the use of the, uh, the camera, the camera effects, as far as him crawling on the walls. Yes, absolutely. Within the castle itself, the law of gravity did not apply. You have rats walking on the ceiling, the and you have Dracula crawling on the wall. Cool. I'm not entirely sure what they're trying to portray with the shadows, how the shadows move separate than him. Right. I mean, I get like it was maybe his intentions, but actually seeing it. Yeah, his thoughts are manifested via his shadows. I thought it was effective, but I thought it might have been a little too much. I don't think they needed to do it as much, maybe. Maybe not as much, but I uh, I think at the time it was kind of groundbreaking for horror movies to go to that level of, uh, you know, subtext and that kind of stuff, maybe. So maybe... I think maybe Kubo had an idea and just throw it in, into there. Like, no, it worked. Like, it was super creepy. Let's have his intentions be in the shadow. The only other setting that I want to bring up, because I think it was uh, thematically significant, was the movie theater scene. What did you think of that movie theater scene? Uh... So ultimately, he woos her on the street. He's all young again. And he's like, can you show me the way to the uh, cinematographer? Um, or the cinematography, or whatever the hell it was called, in terms of what they called the movie theater back then. Cinematograph, something like that. Yes, absolutely. It was like a porn site, wasn't it? Just like a porn video. It was. It absolutely was. What they were showing was super lewd. I didn't see a lot of other girls there. For uh, for a weird reason, they did have a video of. I think it was the first. Oh man, I can't remember my my. Film teachings. It was like the first video they took, and it was of a train passing by the camera. Uh, oh. And I know when they, the lore was when you, when you they played it at a theater, and it was you know thirty seconds long or something. I think people paid to go see it, and the people in the theater freaked out because they thought like a train was actually going to come into the theater. Because it's like a but ghost. They had, but they had played that in one of the scenes that I noticed. Oh really? Yeah, Interesting. And then there was just kind of like, yeah, just kind of half naked women walking around, maybe fully naked. Well, there's something to be said for that. I mean, ultimately, he does try to seduce her there, right? And that's not an uncommon thing to show sort of or imply lewd things before you try to seduce somebody. I mean, not speaking from experience, but still. He invented Netflix and chill. (laughs) That is a good way to put it. Absolutely. Okay, so I do think Candyman gives it a run for its money in terms of the setting, though. Because, uh, I mean, we're both old, you're old Chicago boy. I'm still Chicago boy. We've got an underdog city here. Uh, what did you think about what they did with Chicago? Uh, I loved it. I remember this is a little story was, you know, I grew up in Michigan, and my parents let me watch horror movies 
I was eight years old, which to now seems absurd, but I loved it back then. That's all I would watch. And I had seen Candyman, and I was eight, you know, I thought it was eight or nine. And it scared the crap out of me. And I, I couldn't pee by myself for two weeks after that movie. So I was wow. scared Candyman was going to, you know, hook my dick off. Um, and, and that haunted me for a bit. It really did. And then I had ended up uh, moving to Chicago to go to school. And I had moved uh, less than a mile away from Ca- Caprini Green. And I had kind of forgot about Caprini Green. I just knew the Candyman. But I was walking down the street with my camera because I was in film school taking photos and, and some lady had come out of this big building and she was like you know where you're at? Like, what? what? You know where the you're projects, at? The projects, baby. I, go, I, I don't know. What are you talking about? She goes, this is a pretty green. And it clicked. I was like, oh, Candyman. And then she was like, I am walking you to the train and you're going home. So she she walked me to the train and took me home. Um, but that was, you know, that was in 2005 or something like that. So I think only four buildings maybe were left. Originally it was, you know, and maybe 12 or something. I don't remember exactly. Uh, I haven't done enough nearly, research. I, I, did, I did I did a little bit. And then, um, yeah, so I got the train and went home. So it kind of impacted me a little bit. I thought about it for a while. Uh, but the scene, which I'm confused about, because, you know, in the, in the story, he had said Candyman came out of, you know, the, was it the son of a slave, and mm-hmm. he, he was chased into Caprini Green in, like, the late 1800s. But okay. he, Caprini Green didn't exist in the 1800s. Uh, right. In the 1800s, or like 1850, that area was uh, like shanties, right? So it was it was still kind of a poor area, but it was mostly Irish, and I think maybe some Irish, or I mean Italian. Okay. Uh, but then later on, it turned mostly to Italian. It was eventually looked at as Little Italy. And then 30s, I think it was Green or Caprini, I get, get accused, started uh, like row houses, uh, you know, for the poor. And... Then later on, like in the 50s, 60s, no, I think in the 50s, Caprini had come along and this, you know, they, they built up the Sky Rises, which was, you know, 12 or something like that. But it took them 20 years from the 50s, you know, on to get that all built up. And, and by the end of that, it was, you know, a big kind of area where, you know, 15, maybe 20 buildings. I don't, I don't remember. With cinder block walls in the interior, yeah. the poverty yeah, yeah. is very evident, very shitty innards. For all At these first apartments. it was amazing, though. At first it was amazing. And it was never really, which is funny because Caprini Green was never the number one. It was never number one for the most, you know, for the most crime in Chicago, let alone in, in the U.S. It never even broke, you know, top five or something. I mean, there was a lot of crime, uh, but it was never as, I don't think it was ever as egregious think of it. Like people was like, oh, it's the number one place people got killed in the late 90s or, or early 90s, late 80s. And, and I don't think it ever really was that. I think it became it was more of a like a drug drug place, mm. and what I remember was they had turned how the, the the buildings were built. You know, it was yeah, it was solid concrete, and they had a, a opening in the back, opening in the front, and the gangs came in, and I think they barred up the back, so they were they had kind of monitors in the front to let people in, um, and so yeah, it was dangerous, but it wasn't like number one. And then the cops could never really they didn't want to go in because it was dangerous because there was escape so there's no way to get in why risk it yeah it was almost like a battle to get into it um but it was almost like a, a misrepresentation i feel like of what green green was maybe it wasn't i don't know um, but that was a history that i had read about yeah and i do think it's significant that you mentioned that it is right next to one of the most affluent areas of chicago right the gold coast that actually comes up in the movie um you have one of the richest areas with some of the most posh buildings in all of the city 
And then just down diversity. Is it diversity? No, division. Just down division is uh, these these housing works that ultimately yeah. do get graffitied up. And I find that graffiti interesting because obviously, I mean, what's your opinion? Are you still live in, are you still live in NYC? Is there as much graffiti in New Jersey? Uh, it's a different kind of graffiti. Um, it's not like most of graffiti now is intentional. It, there's a lot of you know art areas. Some more art, so, okay. Like it's uh, intended graffiti. I don't see as much um, spontaneous graffiti. Is that the word for it? Fair. I mean, yeah, the what we see is ultimately, I feel like it's the graffiti where you're trying to be remembered in a place that's doomed. You're trying to leave some sort of mark when you know you have been cast a, a bad lot in life based on yeah. cultural I mean, I, realities. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't really get, maybe I don't go to areas that are still there, but the areas that I, I go to are, are definitely heavily gentrified and definitely have uh, more artistic graffiti, stuff that people are paid to actually do. Um, Interestingly, in 1988, Chicago was displayed in uh, Child's Play. Do you feel like Chicago's getting a bad rap here, late 80s, early 90s? Because these are both two horror I, movies. Everything that I heard about Chicago in the 80s is pretty bad. Uh, bad I'm news. hearing stories from people who lived in Chicago in the 80s, and they said there were certain stops on the train, especially just north of the loop. Yeah. Um, where they said they, after like 8 or 9 o'clock, they would just they wouldn't stop at certain stations because it was just so right. bad there. Like, there was no reason to because they would just kind of let out bad people or whatever it was. So I, as far as, because, I, yeah, I heard you guys' first, pod, uh, first podcast about the area they had showed, uh, like, you know, the store where, what, uh, who's the guy who was Chucky? Uh, Charles Lee Ray? Yeah, Charles Lee Ray. Like, he went to that, that store, and we had, we actually, oh, I yeah, Wabash. Down, down there on Wabash. And apparently Wabash actually was a pretty bad area, I think. Hmm. Uh, again, I wasn't there. I, it's just, you know, stories that I've heard, but it sounded somewhat accurate. Yeah, I mean, I love Chicago. Uh, certainly got that personal connections to it. It's done a lot for me. It's done a lot against me. I have, have a car stolen here, right? So there's the ups and the downs here. Um, but it, it forces you to become a character. Fight, fight in this world. So the last thing I want to mention about the setting of Candyman here is that there was this one really neat shot. It's really, as far as I know, the only overhead shot that there is. It's of the UIC uh, Pavilion Theater, which actually from above, it kind of looks like a bee's POV, like, you know, you know the bees that are encompassing Candyman. And it kind of looks like a honeycomb. I'd never seen, as I've been to this theater before, this outdoor theater, and it kind of looked like a... A beehive, in a weird way. I don't know. It just it kind of struck me because they went to uh, it twice. It I don't specifically remember that shot, but if it looks like a beehive, yeah, I'm sure they did it intentionally. What do you think the significance of the bees are? I mean, beyond him being eaten by bees, is there anything beyond that? I think... Oh, go I ahead. Think, I think there's a... Um, what do you think about what a bee does? I mean, a bee pollinates, right? Yes. I think this is so much about breeding and about the future and ultimately what it means to be able to ensure a sweet future, right? You see sweet everywhere in the graffiti. Um, And unfortunately for the Candyman, he cannot bring about a sweet future for his progeny. Um, And the best way to do that, uh, sadly, 
involved interracial stuff. You know what I mean? Um, I think there's some significance there. I think the bees were intentional. Because it could have been flies, right? Flies would have been grosser, wouldn't they have? Well, I think I think bees, bees, you know, bees are kind of like flies, but they sting and they're little assholes. I think more like, I think bees are used because bees do pollinate and they do True. They spread, uh, uh, you know, they kind of spread life. And I think, and they got the honey yeah, candy I think, association. I think no, I think more it's more about. Um, him being better the honey and the bees getting on him it was more like they they spread his lore okay oh you know interesting I mean? pollinating his lore the bees are, are just his I like that way of just kind of spreading his, his fear so bees are more like people in the movie so spreading like his fear being remembered again are just spreading his his I like that. I think that's Maybe. that's a strong analysis. Okay, so if we're going to give Dracula uh, out of four, what are we giving it? I feel like I'm in the 3.5 to 4 range. I don't know about you. Setting-wise. Oh, yeah. I'd say a solid 3.5. 3.5 setting. Uh, Candyman? I feel like we're right there again. I'm going to give that a 4. All right, all right, or because there's Chicago, a little cliche. You like... know what to expect with Dracula's setting, right? I mean, you're just doing what you need to do versus Candyman doing something fresh. I'm giving, I'm giving Candyman the four. Yeah, let's give Candyman the four. We'll give Dracula 3.5 because it had a little cliche nature to it. Okay, now we get into the fun stuff, the deeper meanings of Dracula. What the hell is going on with Dracula? Dracula did just seem like a love story where shit went real wrong. And he's just trying to avenge his love. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's the ultimate breakup story. I think R romantic love and the pitfalls of that is a huge part of it. Yeah. Marriage What's as more? well, because he's going to marry her when she kills himself. Or are they already married? They were married, right? Freshly married. And if you remember, Van Helsing said it's the freshest love. It's young lovers that I'm the most scared for, which I found very significant. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Remember your first love? You, you would, you were an idiot. You would do the dumbest shit. Yeah, that's the truth. Right? I just feel like additionally, I mean, it is a powerful. It is. It does seem like a story about. Uh, kind of what happens if God tests you and then you fail and you're like, well, mm. fuck you, God. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of a powerful story. So if his job went bad, pretty much, Dracula is job gone bad. Kind of. It's almost like he tested him and he failed. Like what would happen if uh, who was it who who God tested about you know kill uh, kill your son or, or or whatever? Is that Job? No. Yeah, that is Job for sure. Is it Job? I don't he know. He takes but away yeah. all of his all of his family, all of his livestock, all of his land. Like, now Everything what? is dissolved. No, this is this is a story of now what? I'll tell you what. Fuck you. I think that's the opposite story of that. Then maybe. Yeah, I mean it's similar to Lucifer, right? Um, I do think there is something to that. I think the Christianity involved. You cannot deny it. And in a way, I feel like Dracula the story and Bram Stoker himself was kind of dissecting how Christians themselves are bloodsuckers that take advantage of those that don't have the capacity to think for themselves, right? And ultimately, is, Dracula repurposes strong, this sense of meaning. That is a strong statement to make. Uh, and I will, I will counter that with, I think that's all religion. It could be. <laughs> But revision is exactly what Dracula does, because if you look in the first scene where Jonathan arrives, 
Dracula is holding a lantern that used to be an incense distributor. I don't know if you've ever been to a Catholic church, but they have these um, like these I've little metal things. With but he uses what that was as a like a light. Instead, I want you to see the truth. This is not the smell of Christ or whatever the hell is supposed to do with the incense. I don't understand the significance of the incense in Catholicism, but. In Dracula's eyes, it's truth. The light is coming out of here instead of the, this ridiculous sensory overload that I'm going to hit you with as I walk down the aisle of a church. Um, I do feel like Dracula is repurposing the power of theology, specifically Christianity. I mean, I didn't pick up on that, but I appreciate sentiment and I understand it for sure. And Christians, when they're given this tale of heaven, they're cursed to constantly feel like their current existence is not good enough and there's something better. In the same way that Winona Ryder ultimately is not satisfied with Keanu Reeves' Jonathan and would rather have this blood-sucking demon as her beau because he suggests to her a better existence that doesn't end. I feel like... We got a lot of criticism of how Christianity positions the afterlife through Dracula. I see that. You say it, I see it. Um, also, there's some gender stuff going on there. I feel like women in Dracula are simultaneously portrayed as the motivation for man to do anything, as you see with the three suitors for Lucy, as well as the downfall, pretty much, of all three of them, right? And then, you, of course, you have the very more obvious example of the inverse of that instead of the three suitors that have romantic love for lucy you have the three women that are the succubus that are just sucking keanu reeves dry so the way women are depicted in this and even that first scene with mina and jonathan they're they are depicted as the more salacious of the genders did you notice that oh yeah i did notice that for sure i definitely appreciated the women more than i did the men Another deeper meaning that I really quite found interesting, and I missed it every other time I've dealt with Dracula, was that he's from the Order of Dracul, the dragon. I'd never known that before. And the dragon ultimately being this fire-breathing, destructive force, carnivorous, um, also reptilian too, right? Cold, unempathetic, not able to actually relate with the mammalian side of us. I think there was something to that that I had never really seen before. Is that just in the book, or is that an actual uh, history? I assume that that's tapped into the book, but I definitely, when uh, he first meets uh, Jonathan and he's talking about his ancestry, and he's so obsessed with his ancestry, he talks about, I'm from the Order of Dracul, which is the dragon. I think it's mentioned at the beginning as well. Um, and then, of course, like the nature stuff, Dracula appears when uh, nature is the most uh, forceful within the story itself, and that kind of is representative of the deep, dark nature of man, our id within and um, specifically, like, the girls will sacrifice the man for the sake of progeny, in a weird way, um, even if it's deadly progeny. What about Lasting Impact? Where do we see Dracula today? Uh, I mean, it did win three awards. For the did it? Awards. I missed yeah, that. What did it win? It was, uh... Actually, I have that information on me right now. It won Best Costume Design, Best Sound Editing, and Best Makeup. I think that's fair. It was nominated also for Best Art Direction, but that's just Academy Awards. But it was nominated for a bunch of others, and it won, you know, Saturn Awards. That is, I don't know, I don't know why cars would give out awards, but you know, uh, they did that. And then, um, 
I, I do know it is ingrained in, in culture just because, A, it was Coppola. It was a huge dragon. True. And he was kind of, he changed Dracula into an actual person with feelings, not just. He was sympathetic. I think, very I mean. Sympathetic. I mean, he went to heaven at the end of it. Interestingly enough, I think part of why Winona couldn't help love him more than Keanu is the sexual prowess angle of that, right? Ultimately, that, you know that he's better in bed than Keanu ever would be. I don't know about that necessarily. What? Well, you don't there, think that's a thing? I think that's there, a thing based on what we saw at the beginning with the Arabian Nights. Oh, look at that sexual position. I think she has that in her mind that being able to satisfy, to be satisfied is very important to her. And from what I saw from Jonathan's character, Keanu Reeves' character, doesn't seem that satisfying. Well, maybe he has a bad back. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that the, could whole, be. the whole thing, though. I mean, it's not again. This isn't represented in this in this film, but maybe, maybe it kind of is. But the whole lure of, of vampires is that they have just this uh, this ability to project sexuality. So mm-hmm. you don't have to be good at sex. You just have to make them think that you're good at sex. Oh, maybe that's true. Not. But again, maybe that doesn't matter. It, you know, I guess confidence is the thing women look for. Maybe he just has a fucking shit ton of confidence. Maybe he is good in bed. Big dick After four hundred years, like what's gonna get you down? You know. I mean, you better have a. a you better be good. At that point, years, you you're gonna brush shit. off everything. I mean, the well, in years, terms of what I think is the most lasting impact is I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Harley Quinn preview or Birds of Prey, but to me, Harley Quinn is the Winona character, and Joker is Dracula in terms of the the innocent girl getting turned by the bad guy and ruined by him. I feel like you see that a lot of places, but in terms of pop culture, that is the most prominent one of late. Yeah. I Anything else you want to talk about? Deeper meanings in terms of Drac? Um, I mean, you kind of hit it. I mean, religion, but that's not even like truly a deeper meaning. Well, what about religion in Candyman? Did you see anything going on there? Not so much religion. That was just she had a prominent cross on her wall above her bed. Did you not notice that? I mean, I did, but... The only thing on her wall. I don't, I don't know if that, that was uh, as big as it should have been or is. That was just more about uh, social economic... Just, that was more just about race. And then, you know... It, it, yeah, race is, is the bigger issue, but I mean, I'm segueing with the religious stuff, and I want to discuss specifically about the significance of looking into a mirror, right? Gratuitously, because you're saying a name five times. Well, I mean, you're talking about Bloody Mary, right? Bloody Mary. I mean, it is kind of a ripoff of Bloody Mary, you're absolutely right, but saying Candyman five times is almost like, first of all, it's suicidal, right? You know that there's the possibility something horrible is going to happen there. But at the same time, you're like looking at yourself like Narcissus would. It's like this paradox to me, like looking into the mirror, but also simultaneously wanting to destroy what you see. I don't know. I found I I think it's pretty interesting. Just like the conduit in which the death occurs is the mirror, especially when she's so desperate. Helen is so desperate to get noticed, um, ultimately by cultural appropriation. Uh, should she be the one going to Cambridge Green and writing the story about the urban tales, or should it be a person of color that goes in there and documents she, this? She did bring her. She did bring her black friend. So she did her, her colleague. I mean, ultimately I that was know. a fellow student, right? I, uh, I mean, if you want to bring it into religion, I mean, maybe. 
I mean, religion does have this, especially Catholicism, just because that's what I know, is this overwhelming sense of looking at yourself and being like, oh, you're... Uh, Don't you think Helen was conceited? Conceited? Uh, when you look into a mirror as much as you do in Candyman or Bloody Mary... She only looked you... at a mirror to say Candyman. It's not like she was like, oh, how am I looking? So I don't know. Uh, is she is she not making eye contact with herself? Yeah, but isn't that the point? When you look into a mirror, do you like obscure your eye contact? You know what I mean? No. I don't I know. At, Maybe it's a reach. Eyes. I look at my eyes. I'm looking in the mirror. That's I don't think I look what you away. look at, unless you're like popping a zit or something, right? You're looking at your eyes when you look in the mirror, which I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's a stretch, but I think there is some sort of like Narcissus looking into the pond, being so fond of himself, and she's so desperate to get published with her, uh, uh, ultimately her dissertation about the Candyman and Urban Legend. I mean, that, that I guess, is... though. I mean, uh, when you're writing something. You have this ability to look at what you're writing and be like, dude, am I am I dumb for writing this? What you have this constant thing, constantly thinking about yourself and whether or not you make sense. You know what I mean? You're like, is this good? Is this good? You constantly think about this writing. So I can see, you know, yeah, okay. If you want to say like it's her being like, yeah, I'm writing a dissertation. That's what she's doing, right? She's writing her thesis or whatever. Mm -hmm. So she's writing a thesis. So she's constantly looking at herself and being like, should I be writing this thesis? A good thesis. Does this make sense? I mean, okay, yeah, fine. no, it does. I could be an allegory for that, for sure. I, can see I that. also saw her as kind of an Alice figure through the looking glass, and she crawls through the window, you know? I feel like there was a little bit of that. She goes into kind of a different world where there are these figures that are trying to destroy her. Um, additionally, you could argue that she's comparable to, like, a Helen of Troy as the most coveted woman in a land controlled by volatile figures, you know? Oh. I don't know. I, I saw some stuff. Helen. And then, of course, she gets framed to hell for multiple uh, infractions or murders well, or when slaughters. when you say framed, there's also, I think, uh, I think what it, what it could be is she actually did do all of it. I think she actually imagined um, Candyman. I think Candyman really? got so ingrained into, into her and she was so involved in writing the story that she really okay. wanted to be true. That yeah. She just kind of snapped, like her mind just kind of snapped. And you did say she was the antagonist, and that I would did. make a lot of sense. And this is why. I think she just snapped and thought, uh, didn't think, just did. Uh, and she actually killed everybody. And at the end, uh, on the wall, it said it's been Helen the whole time. What did it say exactly? It was like, it's always been Helen, I think. I, I did like, not see that. I'm sorry, yeah, I must yeah. have missed that moment. At the very end, uh, she it's oh, it's always it's, been you, Helen. It's, it's okay. Always been you, Helen, and it's yeah. of her as like a saint or whatever. And I think that could have been sort of a metaphor of. Uh, she uh, is the big your bad. Fault. You know what I mean? Kind of like. So well, you're saying no. my victim blaming deeper meanings is moot, in the face of your theory. I just think uh, the story was, oh man, kind of like the whole reason this happened was because white people suck. Kind of. Uh, yeah, or yeah, a cultural appropriation. She was going to, in the same way that he was taken advantage of by his slave owners, now she is looking at the sadness that was early 90s uh, projects of the city and trying to big up herself through that. That's, some, that's something, for sure. Yeah, racism thinking. is the ultimate like undercurrent of that movie, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to the fright factors for Dracula. Um, how much did this give you the willies? Uh, none of it really gave me the really. I, I, uh, 
I mean, they did some amazing stuff with in-camera effects. I mean, those mm-hmm. wide-angle shots close up with him licking the knife uh, and then busting into the room aggressively. Mm-hmm. And those women were, and they had jumped on the walls. Like, the effects were outstanding. Yes. None of it really scared me. Maybe startling at points because it was quick and loud. But I... We got a kill count of eight, including Dracula, including the three succubi. So ultimately... That brings us down to like four actual deaths. But to me, the scariest one was the baby, right? In two movies, we have babies in distress here that we're comparing from 1992. Babies were in distress. The baby seemed like a dream. A little bit, because he was just drained of his blood. Where did he get a baby? Where did he get that baby? That's a good question. Um, but that's kind of the one that I found the most disturbing. I don't know. But you're right. Yeah, it was more like disturbing. eerie than scary. Could have been disturbing for sure. And of course, yeah. I'd never seen Dracula as a werewolf before. So like, of course, the scene where he is forcing himself on Lucy as a werewolf, we're Dracula or whatever the hell it was. That was that was pretty memorable. Her in the, in the red outfit. And she's like... Uh, swishing it over the statues as she's walking along. I don't know. That that stuck with me. Um, that was super creepy. Oh, the, the, the bestiality moment? Yeah. Uh, that was weird. That uh, was weird, I, especially because Winona, like, watches it. I didn't realize that was him for a while. I thought they were just adding in a werewolf. I was like, oh, is it going to be, like, a werewolf versus vampire? I mean, I, I thought it was the doctor for a second, as I mentioned. He got morphined up, and he's also a monster for, for a half a second. Then I remembered, oh, wait, this is called Dracula. The doctor doesn't mean I'm not even sure if the werewolf was actually. I'm not wondering. What about Candyman? So Candyman scared you maybe a little bit more? Um, What was was the fright factor of Candyman? Oh, biggest one for me, and I'm only, I'm drawing this from when I was a kid, was when the little kid got his little pee-pee cut off with the hook. That scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Groin to guts is unique. There is something original about, I mean, a guy with a hooked arm. Not original, right? Groined. The kid didn't get groin uh, throat or whatever. He just got dick cut off. Um, that's what scared me. But yeah, no, the fucking whole groin to throat is... Right. That, that's his me. MO, ultimately, that they kind of like go over at the beginning. It's ultimately he goes groin to gut versus the opposite. Or like, I don't know. We, we've seen hook people before, but the idea of going from that groin and then splicing it up. I think even something I saw recently, somebody gets... Oh, that's where we're playing Dead by Daylight. Somebody gets stabbed in the middle and then brought down, but not it the does, opposite. It does happen in the first scream. She gets gutted. Up to down? Or, yeah. or I'm sorry, down to up? She gets down or mid to down. It doesn't matter. The point is, like, she gets fucking emboweled from the tree. Right. Yeah, no, that is that is definitely, like, the winner of that year. That's a foregone conclusion for sure. Um, I also really like the moment where she um, conjures... Candyman when the shrink's there and he rips the shrink from the bottom of his ass up through his spine I don't know how he's tearing up the dude's spine but that's pretty horrible I think it's super creepy the way Candyman goes from your groinal area up yeah, whether it's the front or the back yeah man he takes it both sides for sure he's definitely both Absolutely. <laughs> um, that, that scene though I think that's the only scene where he I think actually kills somebody or they show, you, show him killing somebody um, I still think she did all of it. So I think she just imagined him doing it, but she did it, which doesn't make she sense. She was like I a guess, pen. She was, she was strapped His in. letter opener. She was strapped in for a minute. Did you notice how he leaves the office? 
Oh, yeah, man. Pulley system out the window for sure. Backward out the window like he's a bee. Like he flew like a bee out the window. That I didn't Which I found pretty know. interesting. Yeah, the way yeah. he like moves, it's like it's a bee flying kind of backwards sort of thing. But we got to go back and we got to fucking... Uh, oh, watch my language here. We got to um, give the ratings to Deeper Meanings of Dracula. Deeper Meanings. What do you say out of four? Uh, I'll give it three. Uh, I feel like it's super loaded. It is based on a novel. I want to give it 3.5. Let's juice it up a little bit. All right. 3.5. What about Deeper Meanings of Candyman? Ah, man. Given the time. I mean, 3.5 to 4. I want to give it a 4, to be honest. Give it a 4. Fright Factor Dracula? Um, Wasn't too scary for you. 2.5. I feel like all of the sexual stuff of the forcible sex stuff was kind of scary. If I was Um, a girl, I feel like it would have been scarier. And as a dude, it, it never really seemed forced. Can I say that? <laughs> like, maybe. I mean, you're Dracula, maybe. right? So you can just want it. I feel like hallucinations like, versus roofies, I feel like it's still forced. You know what I mean? Or not, hypnotism. Okay. Hypnotism. I can't rather. deny that. I'll get in trouble. Uh, two five? Fine. Because his, his, the costumes, the makeup was kind of scary. There's some scary Actually, moments he spent, there. he spent, I think he spent most of the money in that film on the costumes. Yeah. Coppola spent a ton of money on that. And he actually, uh, just because we're talking about side stuff, uh, you know in Stranger Things, uh, mm-hmm. season two, episode two? Yeah. There's a scene where uh, Winona Ryder celebrates uh, Halloween with her boyfriend, Bob Newby. Yes, yes. Who is Super Bob. As Dracula. Oh. Wow, good call. Boom. Homage. That's homage. a nice little callback. Yeah. You know what, you know what Didn't put that is. together. An homage is just admitting that you're stealing. <laughs> it's a callback. It's a big up. Um, they were big up in uh, her previous role. Fright factor that. for Candyman. Where are you giving it? Oh, I got to give that a four. That's got to crap got to bring it down to a 3.5. I will fight you for Four. All right. If you think it's a four, it doesn't get scarier than that. You don't think? I think it gets scarier than that. Oh man, I don't know, man. Getting your little pee pee cut off in the bathroom—that's scary shit. Have somebody that coming through a mirror that is inside yeah, of your right. house. You're passionate about it. You're that's passionate scary. about it. Let, let's add that's this up. Me. Let's add this up. So we got Candyman with a four, a two point five. So we're at six point five. We're at eight point five with the surviving characters. And we're at a 12.5 with the settings. Then we got a 16.5 with the deeper meanings. And 20.5 total for Candyman. Let's see what's cooking with Dracula. You got that 4. Then you got plus 3. We got a 7. We got a 9.5 when you add the surviving characters. You have a 14. No, a 13. A 13 when you add the 3.5 from the settings. Uh, and then we got a 16.5 with the deeper meanings. And then it's it's a... Uh, Candyman. Candyman wins. Oh, Candyman takes it. Candyman, the I'm bell has happy. rung. Candyman is the most iconic of 1992. I, I Congratulations, Candyman. Everyone watches Candyman if you haven't. And then watch the remake that's coming out with that. Who's, who's directing the new one? Uh, you got Jordan Peele, and yeah. supposedly the actor who played the initial Candyman is coming back as Candyman. That's I wish I knew his name offhand. I'm pretty sure he's coming back. He's coming back in some form. He will be in the new movie, which is very exciting. 
Um, yes, well, thank you so much for being part of this podcast, and I want to thank the audience for listening uh, to this showdown between Dracula and Candyman. It would seem that the originality of Candyman and the timeliness of it has won the day as a whole. Uh, Scott, uh, how do people follow you? How do they How do they get in your Vita? Um, I mean, give my address, but I'm probably just going to give you <laughs> my Instagram, which is uh, at stupidconsumer. Say it one more time. I'm worried you cut out there. At stupidconsumer. No underscores, just straight up. One word. Consumer. Very nice. So follow Scott at Stupid Consumer at Instagram or at Never's Done on Twitter. Am I wrong? No, I'm not. I'm on Twitter, but oh yeah, I'm on Twitter. (laughs) Fair enough. uh, But it's uh, it's uh, BM Bucket. (laughs) Oh, okay. So you got a new one. I think I tagged you with the uh, the old one. Whoopsie Daisy. But I will post now. Yes, you definitely should. You've got to send me that, that new one so I can tag you proper. And, of course, if you want to support this podcast so that we can uh, keep it cooking, um, go ahead and investigate my novel, Company Dreamer, at companydreamer.com, or you can find it on Amazon. And on the 16th of this month, Copydactyl will be releasing its third album, so I highly encourage you to check that out. And, again, thank you so much for listening. The bell has rung. <laughs>